Back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex, there must be a reason. And so we're going to get into a few more topics here. The first, you know, we've talked about some negative stuff. I want to talk about some of the pressure that you saw in this game, because I think that the the defensive line has been another malign group. There's a lot of negativity about a lot of elements of this team. One of them has been the defensive line. They won sack through two games. And you've seen them kind of pick it up the last few weeks, right? They had three sacks against the Panthers, three sacks against the Vikings. And I think that number is not as indicative of how much pressure they were actually able to put on Kirk Cousins in this game. And here's here's a good example. So third and nine, right at the edge of field goal range. They're snapping this ball from the 40-yard line. It is If they get into field goal range, that's three points. All they need is four or five yards for a comfortable field goal. And so you you have to stand up here to, to keep points off the board. And that's exactly what they did. You, know, you don't have a ton of margin here. You're getting pressure here. You're forcing Kirk Cousins to step up in the pocket. If he has another quarter second to hang on to this ball, Justin Jefferson is going to be standing by himself in this vacated area of the field where you have these two clear route, routes going upfield. And the defenders have to chase him. They're in man. They can't just dump, they can't just pass it off. They have to chase him. And there is no one in this part of the field other than Demario Davis, who is not going to be able to sink that deep fast enough to do anything about this play. So, what's the only thing you can do to stop this? Tackle Kirk Cousins before he can get the ball, and that's what you do. And you see where like all of this space. If he's able to just set and throw, that's a 20, 30 yard gain. Heck, he might break a tackle and take it to the house. You know, that is a huge play in this game because not only do you prevent a big play, you actually push them out of field goal range. We saw in this game the Saints were ready to kick 60 yarders. I don't know if the I don't know if the Vikings were gonna were gonna try a 58 yarder if they didn't get any any push there, but you never know, right? You've you've seen it. We saw in this game. Will Lutz was a, made a 60 yarder and he was centimeters away from hitting a 61 yarder. These guys are good enough to do that. So you save points with your pass rush, and that's you know that's a gold star, and you need to see more of that. So this is an important element in this game, and it was the first drive. The refs did you no favors. The play before this, Calvin Throckmorton got called for a, a, a false start where he you know tried to say the defensive lineman induced him into jumping. There's some rules that are kind of convoluted, but. I think the ref actually did make the right call on on second inspection of reading that rule a little more closely because basically what happens is if you are on the the guy jumping into the neutral zone is a is on the opposite side of the line you can't be the one to jump because you know they they're reading through that whereas if it was Caesar Ruiz or Eric McCoy that jumped or even you know Ryan Ramchek you could have got away with it you didn't hear so instead of third and 6 third and 11 so you're running this screen pass and this play ended up getting called for an ineligible man downfield, and Caesar Reese is the one getting called right here, which is uh, frustrating because you picked up that first down. And so let's look. Was he actually an ineligible man downfield? Because the line of scrimmage was the 24-yard line. You get one yard of cushion before you get called for this. And essentially the rule is you have to be within one yard of the line of scrimmage as, a, as an offensive lineman, an ineligible receiver, at the time the ball is thrown, not when the ball is caught, at the time it's thrown, you have to be within one yard of the line of scrimmage. And as you can see, ball's out of Andy Dalton's hand. Sure looks like he's within that one yard to me. So, you know, this was a bad call. I think the reason this call gets made is 
just how far away Andy Dalton ends up being from Cesar Ruiz by the time he makes the throw. You, If you were just looking at that and didn't know where the ball was snapped from, you'd be like, there's no way he's only one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. But that's exactly what it is. Like You can go back and look where this ball was snapped from. That's exactly where Cesar Ruiz ends up on this play. So he's he did the exact thing he needed to do. He delayed just long enough for this ball to get out before he got past that one-yard cushion, and the refs called him for a penalty anyway. Eric McCoy was not thrilled about this. We asked him about it today, and he basically said no comment because <laughs> he's he's not a guy who wants to criticize the officiating and get himself a fine. But you know, this is just just an example of of a bad call costing the Saints a big in a big moment. And you know, you 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 can make a big deal out of this. It's a situation where you're not playing good offensively. You already put yourself in a third and 11 hole and you had a call go against you on a very close situation. You got to put yourself in better situations, right? That's how you avoid that going forward. One guy who has gotten way more than his fair share of criticism has been Cesar Ruiz, right? We're just talking about him. The, The right guard, he sits inside Ryan Ramchek's shoulder pad and he's been working. He's been working hard. He's been improving, guys. That's what I need people to understand is he has been improving. And I think in a season where so much has gone wrong on offense, you know, outside of week one, he struggled in week one. He has been a bright spot for this team the last few weeks. And, you know, these are the type of plays you're going to be getting out of Cesar Ruiz. And when you go through the tape, the run play, you send J.P. Holtz around, blocks the initial read. He gets over to Eric Kendricks. He creates a hole here. And, you know, he's the reason you're able to break that for, you know, RIP Latavius Murray. He's the reason you're able to break that for five, six yards rather than getting stuff in the backfield, right? So that's that's run blocking. Same guy, obviously, right here over number 94. This is pass pro. And kick. You're able to get it downfield to Traquan Smith. These are the advancements. These are the, the this is the progression of a young interior lineman who was behind the eight ball in terms of preparation. Everyone in that 2020 draft had a steeper learning curve because of the restrictions and the practice limitations. And so I think that, you know, you're seeing a guy who's probably further down that curve than you'd want him to be at this point in his career, but he's improving, right? So, you know, maybe we stop trashing Cesar Ruiz every five minutes. I don't know. That's just a suggestion because I think if you watch him closely, if you, if if you spend the next game, if you come back and you, you, you go to the Seahawks game and you just keep a close eye on him. He's winning his matchup more often than not. You know, every now and then he'll get, he'll struggle and he'll get beat. That happens. Yeah. That's, that's the life of an offensive lineman. You struggle once you end up on the broadcast, you stone a guy 10 times in a row. No one says your name. And I think that's, that's where you're at with Cesar Ruiz right now. And that is a big step forward for him. Okay. So this is going to be, you know, the last big thing I get into. If you watch this game, what you saw was, you know, a lot of off coverage, but also, you know, you are not going deep. You know, you are not respecting Andy Dalton deep. So you're sitting on these routes. And when you're deciding to throw them early, that's a problem because there's there was two plays in this game where Cam Dantzler probably should have had an interception and he just didn't have the hands to do it. And this was one of them. You know, Andy's reading this. He's reading this. He's seeing off coverage. He's making that decision to throw early to the little slant route. But Hmm. Look what happened with Cam Dantzler. He didn't take even the slightest step back off the snap. Watch him at the snap of the ball. He's never moving backwards. He is 
waiting. He is sitting on this route because he knows he's not respecting that ball over the top. He doesn't think Marquez Callaway is going to go deep. And he doesn't think Andy Dalton's going to throw it to him if he gets there. And so you have this. There's nothing there. That's predictable. There you have it again. Off coverage. He's not taking a step back. Not even for a second. You have that on the other side of the field too. And that's where the ball ends up going. There's nothing there. No one's open. But it's because you're not respecting these routes downfield. You're sitting on them. And I think that's going to be one of the difficulties you get into as you start playing more talented secondaries. It, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to do, make any production when guys are sitting on your route and never respecting that you might run by them. Never respecting it. That very much should have been an interception. You know, this is in the second half. Andy Dolan's targeting Marquez Callaway on the dig. And, you know, Cam Dantzler runs the route for him. But here's where you can here's where you can get creative, right? You can start to change up your tree a little bit. You know, a little comeback. He's able to he's able to make some hay there. Andy Dalton goes to the other side of the field. I think he had three deep shots in the game. This was one of them. And this is if you are a Jameis Winston stan, this is a throw you look at and you say, man, this is where you're losing something with Andy Dalton. You have Chris Olave feeling so wide open that he's putting his hand up. And you have Andy saying, okay, I'm getting it to you. Look at the look at the trajectory of this ball. Look where it ends up. I mean, that's not where that's where that ball needs to go. Even if Olave makes a play on the ball, I don't know if he catches it in bounds. You know, and that's that's the trade-off, right? You don't have a guy who's gonna push the ball deep. They're not respecting the ball deep. And so even when guys are open, you're not able to hit it. You know, you you want to say this offense looked a lot like the Drew Brees offense, right? The the uh underneath offense that you had the last couple of years of Drew Brees' career. That's that's true because that's what you have there. It's a nice throw by Andy. It's good work. He has a connection with Marquez Callaway. That is clear. You know, if you go into if you go back and watch this game, the most confident Andy Dalton looked on his throws was when he was targeting Marquez Callaway. I don't know if it's because that's who you work with the most as the backup quarterback, right? You're working with the wide receiver four, five, six rather than wide receiver one, two, three. But you know, it's clear there there is a there is a connection there. So I think if we do end up seeing Andy Dalton start in week five or any, any other games beyond that, Mark Westcala is going to be part of the game plan. Um, and he should be. So this is the play where you finally take advantage of the fact that they are not respecting you at all um, over the top. And it's a good throw by Andy. It's a good route. Good, good catch by Marquez who does this about as well as anybody, right? He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not, he's not making anybody, you know, sweat with his, with his open field ability, but man, he goes up and high points the ball as well as anyone in the NFL. And I, and I truly believe that. And that's what he does here. And, you know, if, if you're trying to get him on the field more, that's what you're trying to do. Okay. So that's, that's the Andy Dalton uh, segment of this program. Now, one guy who we didn't talk about, no one's talking about him. Everyone's talking about Latavius Murray. The other practice squad elevation, I thought, was pretty impressive, right? And that's J.P. Holtz who kind of took the role of Adam Prentice. Adam Prentice is now on the practice squad. So they've kind of, you know, J.P. Holtz, I think, will probably end up on the active roster at some point. And the reason is is this, because if you can get your H, your H back to block like this, you're in good shape. Now, that's the thing that people don't tend to realize about these, these, these good runs is it's all often more about the blocking. This is actually the same play that we watched with Cesar Ruiz earlier. And J.P. Holtz, so Holtz set in the edge. Right. That's just some of the film. It's what stood out to me today the most. Obviously, as I said, Pete Warner in coverage, you know, 
Vikings wide receivers sitting on routes, things of that nature. That's what really stands out to you when you watch this game. And I I am a little concerned about, you know, this idea that, you know, you throw Andy Dalton in there and the offense looks slightly better against a very porous Viking secondary. A secondary that has been averaging 418 yards allowed over the first three games of the season. You roll up 330 and you're feeling good about yourself. And fine. You know, the offense did look slightly better. I still don't think this offense is good enough to win games consistently in the NFL. And the reason you bring Jameis back, assuming he's healthy, is because you're hoping that the offense you saw the first three weeks was driven by the fact that his back was broken and he can be a more efficient, um, more dangerous quarterback. If you're able to do that, great. This team looks completely different. If you're if you're plotting, if this is the offense you have, you need the defense to play better because they're going to have to win you football games. And to this point, they haven't won you football games. You haven't had that big turnover play. Um, you know, Tyron Matthew had an interception in this game. It was the first of the season. You know, you 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 still haven't had that big defensive play that sets up points. All the turnovers have been, you know, in the in the your deep part of the field and. You know, if for a defense to help you win a game, that's what you've got to be able to do. All right, let's go through some questions. Saints fan for life. Are we not using Jarvis? You know, I think Jarvis was dealing with an injury in this game. He did not contribute nearly as much as you would hope. Um, Two catches, seven yards. He did catch that two-point conversion when the Vikings just literally forgot about him. He was standing by himself in the corner of the end zone. Andy Dalton found him. Um, hopefully he can get that ankle right because I don't think that Jarvis, a healthy Jarvis Landry has two catches for seven yards in this game. Young Carlo de Oliveira, DS, Minnesota barely blitzed, right? Should we expect he would be better than Winston managing protections and checking out plays based on this game alone as a sample? I mean, it's a small sample size, right? The the Vikings, their their structure is based around, and you can kind of see, here's a good example of it, right? You know, you're not sending pressure. But you're expecting you're going to be able to hold up on the back end, right? This is the this is the shell coverage that they're playing. You're keeping everything underneath, and you are hoping that you can generate enough pressure with your front four that when you have six to eight guys lurking in coverage, the offense makes a mistake, and you're able to take advantage of it. This time, you actually did send five, but you still. I mean, look at this shell coverage, right? You're not letting anything happen over the top, and you're forcing them to go underneath. That's just that's their mo. That's what they're doing. Part it's partially because they don't have the they don't have the pieces in the secondary. They don't have a very established secondary, and you know Patrick Peterson is their is their CB one, and he's well past his prime of being a top end cornerback. So this is where why you don't see a lot of blitzes because that's not the way this team is built to play. Again, you're seeing this shell coverage where you're just trying to keep everything in front of you, and it works. This is how this team is trying to win games. They're trying to force you into throwing the ball where they're set to trap you and set to rob the play. Again, more shell coverage. You got to make it hurt underneath. If you can get to the edges of the field, sure. Andy Dalton's not able to make it hurt there. So, I mean, the blitzes are one thing. Like you are, you are trying to establish your protection, block the front four, and then understand where the blitzes are coming from. I think that to some extent, with Jameis Winston in there, the book on him is send exotic blitzes and he's not gonna he's not going to to make the checks necessary and it's going to be an advantage for you. 
Now, not every team is built to do that. I don't know if Jameis had been in there, if maybe you would have seen more pressures, but you know, that's something that Jameis is going to have to be better at if he's the starter of this football, or if he's the starting quarterback of this football team. Was Mark Ingram injured? I think he was injured in the second half. Here's the thing, you know, Mark Ingram had the exact same game as Latavius Murray in week two. He had 10 carries for 60 yards. The difference being they got in the red zone and he fumbled. It was a good punch out by the defender. Fine. Why did the reaction to that game not match the reaction to this game? You know, Latavius looked great. I agree. But there's a there's a reason that every team in the league ignored him for the first three weeks of the season. You know, uh, he was able to ball out. I think being on a national stage definitely didn't help the Saints in that regard. The timing of the Broncos needing a running back didn't help the Saints in that regard. But, you know, I, I'm I'm okay with Mark Ingram. I think Mark Ingram has actually run the ball pretty well. The issue with him has been fumbling. And you want to get Kamara back. Mark Ingram fits better as an RB2 in terms of what you're trying to do at that position. I don't know what the deal is with Tony Jones, but you're going to be fine in the run game with Mark Ingram. You would have loved to keep Latavius around, but if the option for him was be the, you know, be in a kind of crowded backfield where you're going to be at best the RB2 versus go out to Denver, play with Russell Wilson and have, you know, I think he'll end up getting split shares with with Melvin Gordon by the end of the season. I, I understand it. It's a sad day when your backup QB has a better grasp of the concepts of your offensive scheme in just eight months than your starter does after three years in the system. See, I don't know what this even means. Like, what what about that game made you think that Andy Dalton understands the system better? You had seven points on the board with four minutes left to go in the third quarter of that game against a bad Vikings defense. You didn't miss field goals. You didn't. Mark Ingram didn't fumble the ball in the red zone. You just didn't score. You had one drive. You had one drive in the first half of that game that went 10 plays, 60 yards for a touchdown, right? The Saints have been averaging roughly one successful drive on the first half of every game. Outside of that one drive, you ran 10 plays for a total of 12 yards, three punts, and one quarterback fumble. And that, to you, is a guy who is running that offense significantly better? <laughs> I don't see that. So... You gotta you gotta figure it out somewhere, but I don't think that that saying, oh, he just understands it better. Like to me, that is a charged way to approach that conversation. Because you don't know what Jameis understands or what he doesn't. You're making a very, very strong assumption based on what you think. You know, there's some questions about the coaching, there's some questions about the system, the the coordinators, and I think those are all fair. You gotta be better. I think this game, you emphasize the short passing game a lot more. You're playing to Andy Dalton's strengths. You ran a tight end screen finally. Adam Troutman got involved. These are some of the things that I think Jameis needs to work into his, his attack plan, right? You need to incorporate the tight ends. You need to run screens better. You need to take advantage of your running backs in space. There's no reason he can't do that. He's got to be better at it. Hopefully with the back, he can get healthy and do that. We're going to see in week five. We're going to see in week six. Um, and the fact is, I don't care who the starting quarterback is. If you can't win some games, <laughs> it's not going to matter. You can, you can throw Jake Luton out there when you're, when you're two and nine. It does not matter who starts a quarterback. You got to go win a game. Whoever does that, fine. It's got to happen soon. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us on Inside Black and Gold. 
Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks for everyone who stopped by, added a question. There's a lot this team has to improve on. Hopefully they can do it because I'm tired of talking about losing football on Inside Black and Gold. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to hear about it. It's miserable. So the Seahawks come to town. The 48-point score in Seahawks of the Week 4 variety. Hopefully that's a trend that the Saints can stop and they can take advantage of yet another suspect defense. Who's starting a quarterback? We still don't know. But thanks, everyone. Again, I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Check out WWLAMFM.com and the Odyssey app for the latest on the Saints, on New Orleans, on all that stuff. Be easy, y'all. Peace.